What is going on, everybody? Welcome in to episode 21 of the podcast. Pete Forsey bringing it to you here as always. Really excited about the show today. We got a little something different, something new here on the podcast. We have our first guest, Aaron Reese of The Athletic. He covers the Houston Texans. He's going to be joining me talking everything Texans. J.J. Watt, Deshaun Watson, whether he gets a contract extension next season. Obviously, DeAndre Hopkins, what he's going to look like in the offense. And overall, what this new GM search and how it kind of got to this place. Aaron Reese, nobody I trust more when I want to talk about the Texans. He'll be joining us here later on in the show. Additionally, the return. The return of Albert Pools to St. Louis, his first game back since he departed in 2011. And then also a deeper dive in the NFL. We talk a little bit about the Kansas City Chiefs. A tweet earlier this week that got my attention. I wonder if the Chiefs, if they are on a little bit too higher of a plane that people uh, seem to be suggesting for them here in the 2019 season. We get into all that episode 21 of the podcast. Thanks for joining. The return. The return of Prince Albert Pujols. The king is probably more applicable for a guy of this stature in St. Louis, Missouri. The king returns to his castle. Albert Pujols will be playing his first game in a road uniform since 2011 when he departed the St. Louis Cardinals for the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim out in Orange County. It is going to be... One of the better scenes in baseball, I think, in quite some time. I've thought about this just as much as everybody else over the past few years. When's it going to happen? Why hasn't it happened already? To me, it makes, you know, I'm not like everybody else who seems to think there's some big conspiracy theory. It's not like there's been, you know, frequent opportunities for the Angels to play the Cardinals. It's just kind of lined up this way. And frankly, the suspense just builds, so I'm kind of okay with it. It's not like I wanted this sooner. It just kind of adds to it. And it's why uh, I'm pretty hyped here on uh, June 21st to watch the King return, okay? Now, I'm staring out at some ominous clouds right now, so maybe this game gets washed away and then Albert has to play tomorrow evening because more than likely they would uh, make up tonight's game if it were to get postponed. They'd make it up tomorrow as a split doubleheader, and then he's only likely to play in two ball games here in St. Louis, which is fine. I think, uh, you know, everybody's got wants a chance to see him, uh, but, you know, his aging body cannot handle a three-game set uh, at this point in time. They, they just don't do it with him anymore. But, you know, getting back to just how much this has been built up, I really think, and while the obvious circumstances are not the same, so I don't want anyone to think that that's what I'm suggesting because I'm not, okay? So let's just be clear about that out of the gate here. I really think the emotional level will rival probably one of my earliest baseball memories. It was a World Series. And the guest throwing out the first pitch of this World Series was someone that America needed to see. It was a point where there was turmoil. There was unknown. Everyone was shook up, and rightfully so. And there was a man who really galvanized everyone together by climbing atop the mound, taking a baseball, and throwing a strike right down Westheimer in front of a sold-out crowd in the Bronx. George W. Bush, with the thumbs-up, post-9-11 terrorist attacks. The emotional level in there 
wow. I still remember watching on television. Young boy, I said, wow, this is what sports can do. This is what sports means to people. And I think Albert Pujols simply returning. It's not the same circumstance, but the emotional degree that people are going to feel at Bush Stadium 3 this evening, maybe Saturday, the emotional level they're going to feel could come close to that. It could approach that. That's what Albert Pujols has meant to this town. He was on track to me personally. I think he's up there with Stan Musial. Some people say he falls short because he wasn't a lifetime Cardinal. That's your opinion. Okay. But that's what he meant to this city. That's how he was championed. And it's frankly just gross. It is gross to see tweets from one Jeff Perlman, who of course has written several books. Um, he, he, threw out a tweet last year, a tweet that is just wrong on several accounts. And it's the only time I've ever seen anyone say something like this about Albert Pujols. He tweeted out on May 3rd, 2018, the following. I'm going to be honest, 20 years in this business, don't remember a pro athlete who regularly treated people with less base humanity and respect than Albert Pujols. Image never matched day-to-day reality. You know, I'm certainly no Jeff Perlman here. I'm not a journalist. It's not like I've covered all the teams and sports that he has. He's written books on the 86 Mets, Showtime Lakers, Brett Favre, um, and even Roger Clemens. So, you know, I certainly don't have the sources that this guy has, but this just is a totally dissimilar uh, recollection of what I've heard about Albert Pools. Albert Pools has been nothing but kind and generous to this city, treated everyone with the same level of respect. You know, it's just one account, and that's all I'm taking it for. Um, I find it hard to believe because Perlman, while he did uh, cover baseball for seven years at Sports Illustrated, it's not like he was ever uh, regularly in St. Louis covering this team and interviewing Albert Pujols. So I tend to to take credence a little bit more with uh, the regional people, the people that are there every single day. Now... Of course, I'm one to always admit that, you know, when media coverage, it can be, you know, baseball's a little bit different than other sports. It's daily, so therefore it's more just inherently personable. So maybe there are some things that get underreported. One thing that I think with Albert that always was is that he's next level intense, just super intense. And I think that, you know, maybe just with the daily reporting of baseball, people can kind of just, you know, Take it a little bit less than what it is. They think, oh, yeah, he's a tense, like, I get it. No, like, Albert Pools is next-level straight grinder. You know, it's it's why him and TLR, Tony La Russa, got along so well, is that they were just, that working relationship uh, was so in cue with one another that they really had the clubhouse together. And, uh, you, you know, the success of the Cardinals in the early 2000s, it was a big part of that. So I don't take too much from Perlman's tweet. Um, obviously a year ago, I actually missed it. Um, but it it refreshed on my timeline this year, uh, just today. So, uh, I wanted to include that Albert Poulos, we are happy to have you back. You gave us great baseball for so many years and tonight's going to be something special. So earlier this week, there was a, uh, interesting tweet that caught my attention and really got me thinking about this upcoming NFL season. It was from Arrowhead Pride. 
who has a lot of great, great writers and uh, editors over there, people that just put up fantastic content. It's part of the uh, SB Nation branch, I believe, and they're just one of the better uh, better uh, teams or organiz- or one of uh, branches that uh, has a specific team. Uh, theirs are the Chiefs, and they, the, they do a fantastic job, better than most, I would say, over there. Um, but they did have one tweet that really got me thinking, and I think really is something important to remember when talking about teams coming off hot seasons, um, whether they be the ones that are the last man standing as the champions or teams that really have another run in them the next coming season. And the, the question that was posed to the audience was, if the Chiefs didn't have blank, the team could be in danger of missing the playoffs in 2019. And, you know, it suggests that they're probably looking for a player. And it got me thinking because, in my opinion... Just based on the facts of the playoffs in the NFL, it really doesn't take a person to derail a season. Oftentimes, it's just a matter of of good fortune and and, and timing. Situations such as who you play and when. When are you healthy? When are you at, uh, when are you peaking? When are you getting the fortuitous bounces in a football game? When are officials not missing calls? When when are calls going your way in your favor? Those are all things that are just, you know, oftentimes completely out of one's control and benefit you in qualifying for a playoff berth. Now, the Kansas City Chiefs, if you were to ask me right here now if I think they're going to make the playoffs, I would say yes. But on any given year in the NFL— you can make the argument outside of four teams, typically, that every single team can make the playoffs. There's only 16 games. There are 16 games. This is in baseball, where over 162 games, six months, the cream rises to the top. I mean, that, that's, that's just how it, how it works. In football, I mean, we're talking about not missing guys here. All it takes is the official uh, to blow a call against one of your divisional opponents, and that's it. You lose out on the head-to-head. You can have the same record when it's all said and done. Pretty much every team is in immediate danger of missing the playoffs from week one. That's just how it works. You remember the Carolina Panthers in 2015? They went to the Super Bowl. They didn't even make it the next year. And it got me thinking, let's look at this past season, 2018. There were six teams that didn't make the playoffs. The Steelers, Titans, Jags, Vikings, Panthers, and Falcons. They made it in 2017, out in 2018. The year prior, 2017, missed out. Cowboys, Seahawks, Packers, Giants, Lions, Texans, Raiders, and Dolphins. They all made it the year prior. The year before that, there were six teams. Cardinals, Panthers, Vikings, Redskins, Bengals, and Broncos. Half the teams missed the playoffs. There's turnover every season. The Chiefs very well could be that team. Present moment, everybody's in danger. That's just the nature of the league. Turnover, it's a plenty. It's right there. It could be the Chiefs. Could be the Chargers. Hell, it could even be the Patriots. Obviously, we give them the benefit of the doubt because they're the exception to everything. But I just, you know, Patrick Mahomes, great player. I think he's going to have a better season next year than he did in uh, in 2018. However, his stats are going to be lesser. He's not going to throw 50 touchdowns. I don't think he'll even crack 5,000 yards. But he's going to improve as a player, which I know is hard to grasp for a lot of people because stats are the end-all, be-all. However, I think Dak Prescott did that in 2017. 
from 2016. He had lesser stats, obviously, but I think he played better as far as managing the circumstances around him, playing hurt, uh, cleaned up his footwork a little bit, uh, and played within an offense that really doesn't suit his physical capabilities. I think Dak Prescott uh, is an example of Patrick Mahomes. Stats will be less, fewer TDs, maybe some more interceptions, but we're only going to see growth as a player. However, don't equate it to the Chiefs making the playoffs next season. Okay, joining me now, Aaron Reese of The Athletic. He covers the Houston Texans, does a great job. We are now in the midst of uh, kind of the dead period in the NFL, and there's nobody I trust more than the beat reporters. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us here today. Yeah, no problem. Uh, It's supposed to be a dead period, but it, it picked up a little bit for a moment there with the Texans. Yeah, absolutely. There, there's a lot of hot button stuff that uh, I'm going to get to here in a minute, and that's a big reason why I wanted to have you on here today. But uh, let, let, let's start slow here. Aaron, last week we had mandatory minicamp. Uh, Jadavion Clowney, uh, he was a no-show, which uh, was kind of suspected. Um, overall, what was the biggest thing that stood out to you uh, or your biggest takeaway from, uh, from minicamp? Um, you know, honestly, uh, this sounds kind of minute, but it's it's hard to take much away when when there's no contact and stuff with these practices. So I think what I was what I was most struck by, even though you don't get to learn a ton about the offensive linemen, is just how um, how often they were rotating those those rookie draft picks, Max Sharp being the second round pick and Titus Howard the first round pick, both inside and outside. Um, from Bill Bryan's big on saying that he wants the linemen to be versatile, um, but I was a little surprised just given kind of. Um, the the extent of, of their offensive line issues last year, how big of a this obvious need left tackle was, and you draft a tackle in the first round and Titus Howard, you you assume that's probably gonna be the guy you're gonna plug in at left tackle. Um, and that's even what the Texans kind of said, and and he did play there some, but um, he wasn't ex- exclusively practicing there, and, and his his reps really were divided pretty much evenly inside and out. So I think it's kind of up in the air as to where those those rookies, both of them, will play. Will they play inside and out? Obviously. Um, Offensive line is such a huge deal for the Texans last year. Gave up 62 sacks, most in the league, and and was really kind of hampering the potential of, of the offense. Obviously, you're coming off. Um, the Texans are coming off 0-3 start, went 9-0 and thereafter, 11-5 overall. Another playoff loss. What was kind of the overall, I guess, you know, uh, sense of the minicamp? Okay, again, like you kind of already mentioned, shorts and T-shirts. I get it. Uh, but what, what what's the sense overall uh, um, with the Texans going forward? Uh, you know, I mean, I think two things. I think I think before they fired their general manager um, uh, in in June or July or whatever June, I guess. Um, before they did that, um, you know, I think it was kind of this view that maybe they didn't necessarily get better anywhere um, in terms of people they added um, to their, to their team at, at positions, uh, you know, they replaced Tyron Matthew with Sean Gibson for basically half the price. Um, they got a Bradley Roby on a one-year deal at corner who he's, you know, he was first round pick, but he, for Denver a while ago, but he kind of proved to be inconsistent for the Broncos and the, the offensive linemen they picked are both from small programs and, you know, maybe they have promise, but who knows if they'll contribute right away. So at least for me, when they entered the Austin program, that was kind of my thing was, what is what is this team really going to look like? And like, did they really get better anywhere coming off this 11-5 season? And and even though they did, were, we did go 11 and five. I mean, now the schedule is going to be much harder this coming year, and, and I'm not sure whether they really got better anywhere. So that was kind of 
at least for me, the attitude I, I took as taking in those practices and whatnot. But I think the, the bigger takeaway, um, like now after they fired their GM and, and seem it based on what I've heard, you know, they're not going to, they don't intend to really pursue another GM now after losing out on Nick Casario from the Patriots. Um, now the attitude is kind of, in my opinion, it's like, so what the hell is this going to look like? You know, like Bill O'Brien is, uh, has a rep for kind of spreading himself too thin and, and he hired an offensive coordinator this year, but doesn't seem that offensive coordinator is going to actually call plays. And now Bill O'Brien's also going to be basically like kind of quasi GM. And um, it's kind of, you know, so it's just, there's a lot of questions about like how they're going to distribute work within the franchise and, and how that's going to function and whether it can, whether it can function. Yeah. Glad you touched on that. Let's uh, let's get into Nick Casario. Um, of course, the, the Texans announced, I believe it was last Friday. They said, Hey, we're not pursuing them. Um, the Patriots dropped their uh, tampering charges uh, that they were going to pursue uh, after the Texans realized that uh, there were some, uh, there were some terms in Nick Casario's contract. So it, it's pretty clear. He was option. Uh, he was plan a, uh, you just mentioned, it doesn't sound like there's a plan B. What, what, what went on with, with Brian Ganey there and Bill O'Brien? Was it a situation of Casario just becoming available or uh, what, what, was there a breaking point? Uh, you know, everyone I've talked to said there was no singular like breaking point. And I don't think, um, you know, it is a pre-written kind of scrub statement, but I do think it's worth mentioning that in the statement announcing his firing, Cal McNair made sure to mention that Brian Gain is a man of high character. And I don't think you do that if you're worried that some scandalous thing is some scandalous thing that caused the firing to come out is going to come out later. You know, I think because why that's unnecessary and, and you're just kind of hurting yourself. So I do really think that it wasn't some one thing that caused him to get fired um, in terms of what it was then. I mean, you had to kind of, I, I think you had to look at the track record now, Bill Bryan. I mean, he didn't get along with the first GM, Rick Smith, and, and obviously he won that power struggle. And, and, you know, that's whatever. That wasn't the GM he came in with, or that was the GM he came in with, GM he inherited. And, and you know, those, those relationships don't work out sometimes the first GM, but Brian Gain was supposed to be, you know, his, was Bill Ryan's friend and they talked openly about being friends and, and having, you know, like a like-minded vision and excuse me and all that. Um, so for him to be out in 18 months, um, it's pretty telling. I think, you know, I think, I think it's a, uh, Brian admitted he's not maybe the easiest guy to work with for everyone. And um, in terms of, you know, just, I think the working dynamic didn't work for them. Um, that what they say is that uh, Cal McNair, the acting chairman and CEO of the team, you know, he did a thorough evaluation and, Brian Gain just uh, wasn't up to snuff. Whether you believe that it was totally Cal's decision or partially O'Brien's decision, um, I think ultimately it doesn't really matter much. I think really what matters here is just that the Texans haven't once empowered their coach more than ever before um, and really, you know, given him exactly what he would seem to want. And um, But I don't think that necessarily qualifies as totally giving into him. I think it's giving him, a, you know, the ultimate chance and, if he doesn't prove it, then you now have a, a chairman and CEO and Cal McNair who, unlike his father, has proven you know willing to part ways with someone quickly. Aaron Reese covering the Houston Texans. He is with the Athletic. He is joining us here. Aaron, let's get into Jadavion Clowney. Obviously, um, that's a big discussion point here with the Texans. How do they view him exactly? Okay, the, obviously he's sitting on the franchise tag right now. Um, I, I can't recall if it's uh, designated as a outside linebacker or a defensive end. So anywhere from 15 to 17 million, are they going to hand out a 20 to 22 million 
uh, average annual value contract here soon? Or how do they view Jadavion Clowney, their former number one overall pick? Yeah, no, I think there. I don't think there's any chance that he signs a contract extension um, before the season, based on what I know. Um, and, ter- and 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 the designation is as, as a uh, a linebacker, not as a defensive end. Um, uh, but in ter- in terms of that, I mean, I think I think the biggest thing is that Clowney is a very talented player. I don't think anyone would doubt that. Uh, I think that he's maybe he is incredibly disruptive, um, and but he's not necessarily an elite elite pass rusher, right? He's never had a ten sack season. So I think that factors into kind of um, two difference of opinions between parties in terms of what his value is. Uh, beyond that, I don't I don't necessarily know if he's viewed as like a leader in the locker room and, and that and that kind of uh, not to say he's a bad guy or anything. I think he just he's not viewed as kind of a, a captain or a leader or any of that stuff. JJ Watt and is kind of that guy on the defense. And the Texans are cognizant of you know what sort of message does that send if you if you make a guy like Clowney who is you know teammates respect but maybe don't view as kind of the the ultimate alpha in the in the locker room or whatever as, as being the highest paid guy what what messages does that send and and all those things and you know whether whether or not that's really worth considering that much when it comes to a decision like this given how much cap space they have and that they can afford a contract for him i mean that's a separate discussion but that's kind of i think where their head's at so i i would expect him to i would expect him to play on the contract or under the franchise tag this year um and you know maybe if if Clowney comes around to that to whatever number the texans are currently offering him um, or have in mind for him, then, you know, sure, I'm sure he'll sign it or they'll, they'll agree to that. But I don't get a sense that their their stance can be much different a year from now. I, I think they're also still, um, for, even though he's been healthy the past couple of years, I think they're still kind of um, wary of his early injury struggles, and, th- and that plays into this too. So he'll play under the franchise tag this year. Maybe he'll play under again next year. Maybe they trade him next offseason. Um, or who knows? I mean, I, I would, I, like I said, I would totally expect him to play for Texans in 2019, but you never know if, if some crazy stuff happens and some – contender loses a, a really premier uh, defensive lineman and, and thinks they need to add something to still make the Super Bowl this coming season, then maybe they'll throw a lot of the Texans and the Texans will consider a trade. What about Deshaun Watson? Uh, former 2017 uh, first-round pick, so he's due up for a contract extension here soon. Obviously, he's been spectacular. We see the wild plays. We see the big chunk yards that he gets uh, oftentimes with DeAndre Hopkins. Is there any reluctance at all to give him a contract extension next season two ACL injuries uh any hesitance on the Texans part or is this their guy for the next 10 years or so yeah no I, I think he's the guy I mean he's the he's the best uh most promising quarterback team has ever had um and uh no he's he's absolutely the guy and I, I wouldn't I would be incredibly surprised if he, if he did not uh agree to a contract extension with with the team before his rookie deal's up Bill O'Brien, great coach, uh, comes from New England. Davion Clowney, DeAndre Hopkins, I believe he was just rated uh, best receiver by Pro Football Focus. J.J. Watt, Defensive Player of the Year, and of course Deshaun. Yet sometimes I'm kind of iffy on the Texans. You know, you, you had the McNair, the late McNair prison comments, the GM surprise hire. You've had the playoff failures, and even sometimes just during the regular season, uh, you know, s- some games that they should win. What did the Texans have to do to kind of advance and take that next step as a team? Um, you know, I think the biggest thing is quite, right now at least seems to be solidifying the offensive line. Um, I think that's kind of like at least immediately the key for them to be successful. Um, Deshaun Watson is great, but he has a tendency to kind of run into sacks. And 
um, by holding on to the ball too long. And, and it certainly doesn't help then to have uh, an offensive line that's as porous as theirs. So that's kind of where it starts for them, uh, uh, honestly. And um, beyond that, I think that the other big question mark, at least coming into this coming season, is how the secondary will hold up. And I'm not sure that they're done um, or ha- dissatisfied with the corners they have. I wouldn't be surprised if they try to make a trade for another corner, uh, maybe like Trey Waynes in, in, in Minnesota. Um, but those, those are kind of the biggest things. For me, though, it's all, it all comes down to the offensive line. Offensive line, I think, caps the potential of last year's team, and we'll see if it does again this coming season. Theathletic.com, subscription required. He does a great job. He covers the Texans. He's Aaron Reese. Aaron, thanks so much for joining us here today. Yeah, thank you. Aaron Reese of The Athletic. It was great joining him. Uh, he covers everything Texans. I think the Texans are a fine football team. However, sometimes they leave a lot to be desired. I I think that sometimes they don't show up at the big games. That's a reflection of Bill O'Brien. He doesn't always have his team ready to go, and sometimes it's why I question them. I I didn't think they would win in the playoffs this past year. I thought the Colts would uh, be the more prepared team, and that was played out. During the uh, during the game last January, however, they got the guys that I think are made of the right stuff: J.J. Watt, Deshaun Watson, DeAndre Hawkins. These are all leaders. These are all guys people gravitate towards. They have command of the locker room. They have command of their uh, unit, their position. Uh, you know, they they just got to clean up some areas. Offensive line, Reese noted it. Uh, cornerback, uh, secondary, they, they got to be better there. Uh, the, the Texans could make some noise. Uh, and most importantly, I think they got a culture there that, that's pretty sound. One guy who has not been a culture uh, component for his past team, and we'll see if he is on his new team, Odell Beckham Jr. He continues to make headlines. He was interviewed by The Complex, which I believe is a new website. Uh, talks about sports, pop entertainment, uh sneakers I guess I don't know half of what I was reading was about Jordans and Nikes but uh, Odell had a comment uh, something similar along the lines that we've heard that you know he was being held back in New York there were politics involved with his past team Uh, he didn't think he could reach his full potential emotionally physically spiritually he said and you know a lot of that I think is true physically I don't think he could have reached his potential with Eli Manning throwing him the football that's not conducive for him scoring touchdowns Ben McAdoo him as a hiring for uh, as head coach, I don't think that was good for Odell Beckham's uh, junior's growth. I think uh, they needed to have a coach that knows how to manage him a little bit better. They need a quarterback that can actually deliver the ball on time to him um, and things beyond the line of scrimmage. Eli Manning can't do that. I do agree with some of what he says, but what Odell continues to do is just deflect. He continues to deflect any sort of blame that people seem to put on his shoulders, guys like me, because he did bring down the team in one way or another. Was it on the field necessarily? Eh, I would say Josh Norman, that little dust up there, you know, the proposing to the net, the nonsense, the antics. Like, yeah, that doesn't really uh, bring the team together, okay? That didn't fire up the team. Even though that may have been his intentions, that's not how it landed. That's not how it was received. So I can't say on the field he did bring something somewhat of a uh, decimating quality to that however more of it was off the field people had to answer to what the hell Odell was doing on the sideline after the game outside the lines that stuff festers in a locker room one thing that he could probably do he could take a page out of a current New York star Aaron Judge of the New York Yankees he's returning tonight to the lineup against the Houston Astros he's been out with an oblique injury for the past two months Aaron Judge, I think it was yesterday, Thursday, as uh, it was announced that he would be activated for tonight's ball game. He said, you know what? 
I probably could have done better. I probably could have avoided this situation, my oblique injury. Now, some of you, and it could be possible, maybe the injury was unavoidable. Maybe the oblique was just a pure uh, uh, bad luck right there. But Aaron Judge seems to recognize that, no, maybe that, that, that injury could have been avoided in the way I prepared, the way I trained, how I'm currently conditioned. He took full accountability for the injury instead of, uh, you know, chalking it up to, ah, bad timing. No. Aaron Judge is a teammate. He's a leader. He even goes further and says, yeah, I don't even know if I'm going to be in the lineup tomorrow. He is. He's batting leadoff and playing right field. But that's a testament to him recognizing how good the team is, how every man on that 25-man roster is contributing. Cameron Mabin is hitting a home run every night. He plays the outfield. Aaron Hicks, he hasn't gotten going yet, but he's obviously an everyday player. You got Giancarlo. He knows that Clint Frazier's in the minors. You got Edwin Encarnacion that needs to be in the lineup. They just trade for him. Judge is being so humble about everything. He says, I'm not even guaranteed of getting a starting spot back. Obviously, he is now, but that's how important leadership is to him. That's how important being a good teammate is to him. Odell, why don't you take a page out of Aaron Judge's playbook? Have a great weekend, everybody. That's going to do it for episode 21 of the podcast. We're going to have a new guest next week, I hope. I'm working on that right now. We'll keep that as a surprise for you all. Keep the suspense building as we approach uh, kind of the end of June here. Hard to believe. But, yeah, thanks for tuning in for the to the podcast. Enjoy Albert's return. Uh, enjoy whatever you do on the weekend. Have some fun. Let your hair down. We'll talk next week. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.